Many of the concluding pages of the Old Testament depict devastation and destruction, at times leaving even their prophetic scribes in a state of grief, sorrow, and confusion. While those types of responses are normal for the heartache of loss, our everlasting Father has extended to us an offer of everlasting hope, if we can but trust in Him and His timing. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. The thing that gives me the most hope is people. I, I have the opportunity to work with people all day long, and when I sit with them and I hear their stories and I, and I look at the good that is happening in the world, I have a lot of hope for our future. Even though life has its ups and downs, and sometimes it feels like the downs are lasting a little longer, that we can have hope that God is in control and that eventually there will be you know, brighter days ahead. Something that gives me hope is when, even though I am where I'm at, the Lord is gonna see me and accept me and love me no matter what. And that gives me the hope to move forward and to know that He can help me along and that things will be okay. Welcome everybody. Thank you so much for being here with us today. The topics for our discussion come from our studies in the books Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. And the first topic we're gonna discuss is hope for a better world. And the second topic is, I can trust the Lord's will and His timing. And to help us with our discussion today, we want to first welcome back one of our scholars, Patrick Mason. Patrick, welcome. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. Patrick is an associate professor of religious studies and history at Utah State University. And our special guest seated next to Patrick is Krista Isaacson. Krista, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, Krista is a wife, a mother of six, a grandmother, and author of Unbearable Burden which is a memoir about the loss of her daughter and trusting God when he asks the impossible. So before we start specifically talking about our first topic, hope for a better world, there's a quote uh, that we have specifically talking about, it must be the only one that you could find <laughs> where someone is talking specifically about the book of Nahum. And this comes from Ellis Rasmussen. He says, this prophetic book, Nahum, teaches some religious truths. The Lord is patient, great and just. He is good, dependable, and helpful. And the time is coming when all wickedness shall cease and he shall reign in peace. So where do we find some of this goodness and just and patience that uh, Ellis Rasmussen is speaking of? Well, I do think that's about as positive a spin as, <laughs> as, as you can put on Nahum. It's three chapters of, of prophecies of, of destruction, especially towards Assyria. These were not nice people. Assyria was not a kind, gentle superpower. <laughs> they had come in and just devastated the northern kingdom of Israel. And the people who survived uh, in the southern kingdom, I think there was a certain level of trauma. They're in a world surrounded by enemies, right? And so it might be that prophets want to say nice things, right? Uh, but, but sometimes that's not the world they live in. And as you're reading it, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in that and think, man, like we live in such a horrible world, you know, look at how harsh the Lord is being on us. But as we're going to talk about today, uh, we, can, we can hope. What are some things that you have done, you know, in some of those moments where you feel like the world is crashing down that give you hope? So my experience, the darkest 
place or time of my life um, was when my little daughter, who was three years old, we discovered she had a brain tumor and she died 30 hours after we discovered the tumor. That was really hard, really fast and really dark. Like these scriptures talk about all of the darkness and destruction, sometimes when we have something happen in our lives, that's how our world feels. It feels like all around us is ruined, that there isn't any light, there isn't any hope. And so the first thing that I had to do was decide whether I really believed it, whether I was really going to do the things that I had been taught to do. Was I going to pray to my Heavenly Father and believe that He could help me? Was I gonna keep reading my scriptures, um, doing those little things to show my faith in Him, even though it felt like everything around me was ruined and dark? But as I did, as I just took one step of faith at a time, knelt down and prayed to my Heavenly Father as I kept reading my scriptures, held on to Him with everything that I had. Little by little, there were glimmers of light and hope that shone through that darkness. And He was the one that taught me how to step and walk out of that darkness back into light. So, so there's this, I mean, that's, I, I can't imagine that, that experience. I mean, I, I, I can't. Um, there's, there's this really nice verse in, in Nahum chapter one, verse seven, where it says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. I mean, that, that sounds like it captures sort of the experience that you had, right? I mean, what does yeah. it mean? How do you believe the Lord is good, right? When your, your daughter is taken yes. away. And, 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 and those are the mean? questions, yeah. right? How do, yeah. you, how do you continue to have faith in a God that lets bad things happen? Right. How do you keep faith in a Heavenly Father that says no to your most desperate par- prayers, right? He does sometimes, but that's because he can see what is farther down the line. And I love that line at the end that says, he knoweth them that trust in him. I had a very personal witness through that experience over and over again that he was with me, that he was beside me, that he was going to help me know every step to take. He knew me. And the beautiful thing that is that after this experience, I know him. I know him in a very intimate, real way. And there are things about this experience that will always be too hard to carry, always, my whole life. And those are the things that I have asked my Savior to carry. I've literally handed them to him and said, I'll never be strong enough to hold this, but will you? And you know what? He always says yes. He always does. That was his whole purpose coming to earth. The atonement was to carry those things that are unbearable for us. He always says yes. He carries them. And so because of that, he will walk beside me my whole life as my friend, my best friend, helping me carry those heavy things. And so I know him like a dear friend. Krista, thank you for sharing that. So in what ways do you find hope when things can seem kind of harsh or gloomy? Caleb. As you asked that question, I was kind of thinking about what has upheld me in my life. And uh, my family, we moved a lot as as a kid, right? 20 some odd times, right? So being able to have consistency in life was something comforting for me. And I was thinking about it and the two most consistent things that I always had was my family and the gospel, all right? To be able to spend time with family and to be able to study the scriptures and to really connect with Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace, right? So he can uplift us in those hard times and that's what has got me through everything to this day. And I mean, that's what I'm planning on using in the future as well. I love that. Uh, What are some things that you do to find hope in a sometimes darkened world? 
Well, it's, I mean, the, the, the scriptures bring me hope. I mean, on, honestly, because they, they give me perspective bigger than my own. Mm. That's, I, I, I think, when, when, I, when I find myself uh, sort of um, getting, getting drawn into the darkness, you know, and that's all I can see, yeah. it, it's because my perspective is narrowing, mm. right? And, and that's only natural. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. that that's, that's part of life, right? But, but what the scriptures do, what, what service does, what going to church and engaging with people, even when I don't necessarily want to, right? <laughs> but all of that pulls me out of myself. And, and, it, and it gets me to, to at least, God is just trying to, to crack open my soul, to crack open my heart, right? And, and get me to, to not just focus on, on the, 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 the kind of darkness that's right in front of me or, or that I can't see mm-hmm. a way forward and, and, and to, to say, okay, one step forward, you know, and another step. And, and, and maybe there is a bigger picture here, yeah. even if you can't see it all. That reminds me of a wonderful experience I had where Heavenly Father taught me that exact lesson. I, a few years ago, as my older children were preparing to go out on missions and go out into the world, I was having a freak out mom moment. We have those. (laughs) I'm sure other people, right, do. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I was having this moment where um, there was a lot going on in the world. There were a lot of scary headlines and and things going on with governments around the world and uh, just natural disasters, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And I was worried for my children going out in this world. And I, I kind of had this moment where I wondered if Heavenly Father was up there going, oh no, what are we going to do? You know, like, <laughs> like he didn't, like, like, like he didn't he see this coming, right? right? Yeah. Right. So that was, that was my human mortal side. Yeah. So I was, I was having a panic day and I, I said a really sincere prayer that night. I knelt by my bed and asked Heavenly Father, how can I, as a mother, prepare my children and how can I send them out safely? I was really worried for them. And um, just a caveat before this, I'm not normally a dreamer person. I don't normally remember my dreams. And if I do, they're kind of crazy. But, um, <laughs> but that night I had a beautiful dream and it was one that uh, was so beautiful and stuck with me. I, I sat up and woke my husband up and said, Trav, listen to this dream. Um, in my dream, I was there with my six children and doing what moms do, I was trying to keep them safe. We were in a place where uh, it had like cliffs that they could fall off and pits they could fall down. And no matter what I did, my children kept getting themselves in trouble. And I would run from one side to the other and I kept pulling them back from cliffs and pits and I just couldn't keep them safe. And I was running myself ragged trying to, to do that. Suddenly the perspective of my dreams shifted. I was no longer seeing out of my eyes, but the perspective shifted up and I could look down on us. And it was interesting because then I could see where we were. And in my dream where we were, we were in Heavenly Father's intertwined fingers, held in his hands. And I could see that as a mother, I was trying so hard to save them and protect them and do everything I could. I was trying to replace the Savior. I was trying to replace my Heavenly Father. Now, he wants me to do my best to keep them safe and to teach them. But I had forgotten for a moment that we were all safely resting in his hands, that he was very aware of what was going on that he was going to send beautiful things into this world, including my children, to make it a better place. And that I could have that hope for the future, that he was always going to be there. He would always be holding us, that he hadn't forgotten. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Patrick, thank you as well for your insights as we've talked about our first discussion topic, hope for a better world. A time that I didn't really understand the Lord's timing, um, when I was about halfway through my senior year of high school, my dad had lost his job and my family was struggling to figure out what to do. And one day my parents sat me down and told me that they were gonna be moving from New Hampshire back to California. 
I have gone through several periods in my life where I have fought with the Lord on his timing um, because I just wanted it to happen so bad and I, I felt like it needed to happen for me to progress farther. Ultimately, I decided to stay with my friends and finish out the year and that really helped me to kind of get on my own feet and to feel some independence and looking back on that now, I realize that that actually tr turned out to be a big blessing in my life. I've had so many lessons where the Lord's just had to teach me, you know what, I know best, I'm smarter than you are, I can see the whole picture. And so that has given me something to build off of when I have to trust in Him going forward and in the now, and just being able to know it's happened before and I know He'll do it again. The second topic we're gonna to discuss today is I can trust the Lord's will and His timing. So Patrick, what sort of information can you give us from these chapters that can best help us understand this topic? Yeah, well, I think uh, here we can kind of dive into Habakkuk uh, a little bit. And uh, I really like this book, actually. It's, it's uh, kind of different than what we get in some other books because it starts with a series of questions that Habakkuk asks God and he's not happy, okay? God or Habakkuk? Uh, Habakkuk. In, in the other books, God isn't happy. <laughs> Here, Habakkuk isn't. And, and, he, and he's not happy because things are not going well. And I think every single one of us can relate in a yeah. certain way. So if we go right to the very beginning of the book, uh, uh, in verse two, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? even cry unto thee of violence, all the violence that, that his people had experienced, right? I mean, these horrible things, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou shew me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that rise up strife and contention? And then he goes on to talk about how the wicked doth compass about the righteous. I mean, he's feeling it on all <laughs> sides, right? But this question, how long shall I cry, Lord? Where are you? Wow. I mean, that's, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah, it sounds familiar. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it does yeah. sound familiar. I mean, for, for Latter-day Saints, uh, you know, we can immediately think of, of Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail. This, this was mm -hmm. probably the lowest point uh, of Joseph Smith's life. And he wrote this letter to the church, and we, we have it in uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 121, 122, and 123. And so if you go to section 121, verse one, this is what Joseph Smith is saying. While he's in prison, while his people are refugees, he doesn't know the state of his family, it, times are dark. He feels like he has enemies on every side. And he says, O God, where art thou? And where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? This sense that God is hiding, wow. right? So this is Habakkuk, the Lord's prophet. Where are you, God? Joseph Smith, the Lord's prophet, where are you, God? Let's think of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow, I don't know if, what experiences you have or when have you asked similar questions? Have you ever questioned if God was really there and listening uh, to your prayers? Melissa. I get frustrated when I read the newspaper or read about what's going on in the world um, and around the world and there's so much injustice, um, so many terrible things happening and I frequently think, where is God in this? Why? are these horrible things happening you know, to people. One thing that I try to remember is that I'm just looking from my own point of view. And I think very much like Habakkuk, he's looking at what's going on around him and his own point of view and his own interests and, um, and biases and things like that. And what God is gonna tell him and what I try to remind myself is that God is everywhere. 
When I'm wondering where he is, God is there working. He is working in places I can't see and for people I don't know and doing things that I can't recognize. Um, but I love in here when Habakkuk asks him and God responds and, and basically says, I'm everywhere. I'm in all of this. I love that. I mean, one of the things that, that, that I love, you know, following up on that is, is what God says right in verse five. Now, Habakkuk's not gonna like the answer that God gives him. <laughs> but, but God says, I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in this case, uh, he, he's, God is gonna be working through or, or allowing the Babylonians to like run rampant. And, and Habakkuk's like, Huh? Like that that was not the answer I was right? looking How for. How is that the answer? Not the answer. Right. And and so <clears throat> so Habakkuk is like, nope, not good enough. <laughs> and so so he says in chapter two, verse one, he says, I will stand on my watch and set me upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me. Like, wow. <laughs> he says, you know, I, I'm just gonna keep waiting until until it makes sense to me, until I learn. I mean, there, there's a kind of patience here. Of, of waiting, not just waiting for God to give me the answer that I want, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But, but, but waiting until God's answer and timing, you know, I'm able to, to see it. Yeah. For two weeks before my daughter got sick, I had an overwhelming desire to understand how Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane had been able to say, not my will, but thine. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand how he could do that in his darkest place. So I started studying all the scriptures I could find, went through the topical guide. When my scriptures were all marked up, I found general conference talks. And I remember after two weeks telling my husband, I don't know what it is about this topic, but I can't get enough of it. That was the night that my daughter got sick and we went to the hospital. So there was a moment after she'd been diagnosed with a tumor, she'd been through a couple of emergency surgeries and her, her circumstance was dire. And the doctors came to us and said, you have a choice. The choice was we could leave her on the life support machines that were keeping her alive and her body would eventually shut down on its own over a week or two. Or we could immediately remove life support from her and let her pass quickly. Honestly, I didn't think that was much of a choice. I thought that was more like choosing which poison I wanted to drink, right? Uh -huh. that, wasn't, that wasn't a great moment. And I was kind of frustrated with Heavenly Father. I thought, this is a circumstance you've put me in, you choose. I don't want anything to do with this. How my daughter leaves this life, I don't want to be the one that chooses that. If you wanna take her home, then you take her. You make that choice. And I kind of got a little hard-hearted. I was a little like, nope, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna make a choice, which, was a choice, but I was in agony because I didn't know what my Heavenly Father wanted me to do. And in my heart, I knew the reason I hadn't prayed to Him was because I knew He would give me an answer. I just wasn't sure I was ready or strong enough to do what He was gonna ask me to do. I was scared. So my husband and I went outside the hospital. It was the middle of the night, beautiful starry night, and I offered the most difficult prayer I've ever asked. And I asked Him what His will was and remember all those scriptures I studied for two weeks on a certain topic that he had prompted me to study? He knew that in that moment I would need those answers. And suddenly they weren't just words on a page. All of the words and the scriptures and the talks I had read were his voice in my head telling me things like, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not into thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge me, and I shall direct thy paths. He told me, be still and know that I am God. He told me so many words 
that gave me peace and comfort and helped me to know that I was strong enough with him to turn my will over to his. So then I offered a second prayer and I said, all right, I'm ready to know. And the answer was that he wanted us to remove our daughter from life support. And again, I asked why? I don't understand why this is your will. But because of the ways that he had prepared me, I was ready to go forward like Habakkuk with the anger in my heart, the frustration, the not understanding why he'd let me here or why this was his will, but to take a step forward with faith anyway. So I, I said one more prayer, the third prayer, and I said, all right, Heavenly Father, I don't understand. This is the hardest, yuckiest, most horrible thing you could ever ask a mother to do, and I don't like it, but I love you and I trust you, and so I will go and do what you want me to do. But if you want me to do this, I need your help. And in that moment, I was supported and loved, and I felt very much arms around me, arms that I couldn't see, that sustained me and helped me walk back in that hospital and tell the doctors our decision. Your honesty to be able to talk about that kind of anger and frustration that you felt. I mean, you, you didn't choose this, you didn't want this, you know. Yeah. And sometimes I think we think that, that when these things happen to us and we do feel angry or we feel frustrated, you know, towards God, that somehow that's a form of faithlessness. Mm -hmm. Right, and it's not right. It's and this not. is this is what we see in Habakkuk yeah. because because it our, you know is our faith really so fragile that it only exists in the good times? Or right? is his love so fragile that he can't take us being frustrated? Mm -hmm. Exactly, he can take it. <laughs> he can take it. He can take it. Right. But and also, how can you be angry with someone that isn't that doesn't there? exist? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so so that that I'm angry with you is is an expression of a of a relationship. Absolutely. The, 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 and, and, and then the tr but then it transforms into trust. Yes. Right? It doesn't just stay in anger, but it moves towards trust. That's yes. amazing. You know, we have a, a wonderful quote from Eller Holland. There will be times in our lives when even our best spiritual effort and earnest pleading prayers do not yield the victories for which we have yearned, whether that be regarding the large global matters or the small personal ones. So while we work and wait together for the answers to some of our prayers, I offer you my apostolic promise that they are heard and they are answered, though perhaps not at the time or in the way we wanted, but they are always answered at the time and in the way an omniscient and eternally compassionate parent should answer them. And I think that's such a, that's, that's a really difficult thing to, to accept is that sometimes, you know, we have to be patient and really trust. Uh, we had a question that came in from one of our viewers. I'm Kelly from California. And in thinking about the not yet answered questions in my life, how can I better understand what to focus on while trusting in the Lord's timing? How can I better understand what to focus on while trusting in the Lord's timing? Well, I, I think her question is very much similar to, to the situation here in Habakkuk. If you go to chapter two, uh, verse three, the Lord says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, the vision, the answer, though it tarry, though it waits, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry, right? The Lord makes a promise to Habakkuk. All things will be revealed, all things will be fulfilled in their time wait for it. But I don't think it's a, a passive waiting yeah. because this is exactly what the Lord says in the next verse. The just shall live by his faith. 
right? Yeah. So it's it's not just I'm I'm going to be passive and 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 um, just sit back, you know, and let life pass me by, right? While I wait for this answer, it's the just to live by faith. It's it's a faithfulness. It's it's action. It's taking that half step or that step, even if you can't see the end from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So so I think that's. Um, that's what I hear in this question from Kelly, that um, that I don't know when the Lord is going to fully answer my question or fully give give me everything that He's promised me, but I'm going to take that first step in faith. What is it that we've been taught that it's easier for the Lord to steer a moving ship? Yeah. Right. So take a step, take another step, and let the Lord gently steer you where you need to go, little by little. Yeah. You know, we've been reminded uh, by President Nelson. You know, as we are trying to navigate through some of these difficult times to let God prevail. What do you hear when you hear that phrase, let God prevail? How does that speak to you? So, like I said, we had that decision to make whether to remove our daughter from life support or to keep her on. And that the Lord's will was that we remove her from life support. And that was the the question that I didn't understand. I didn't know why that was his will. When we went up into her room and told the doctor that we were ready to remove her from life support, my husband and I were able to hold our daughter in our arms between us as she passed away. And it is and will remain the most sacred spiritual moment of my life, the most difficult and painful, but the most beautiful. I feel like we were able to walk to the edge of heaven and pass her through to loved ones waiting on the other side. And the thing is that I almost missed it. If I had gotten my way, which Heavenly Father would have let me because he's kind and gives us agency. If I had said, I'm not strong enough and I can't do this and I had walked away, he would have let me. But I recognize now that my daughter in her condition was under so many tubes and wires that um, she would have passed away in a bed. I might have been with her. What if I had been taking a shower? What if I had been home taking care of my other children? Would my husband and I have been in the, the room together? I thought it was the most cruel, horrible thing that he could ask me to do. And it ended up being the most merciful, Aww. kind blessing. And I would have missed it if I hadn't trusted him. And now, how can I do anything but? Trust in my Heavenly Father has changed forever. I know that there are times we do not see, we cannot see into the future, the next step that he's asking us to take. But I do not doubt anymore that that step he's asking me to take is not for my good. I know that it is. I know that it will lead me where he wants me to be. He is a kind and loving father. He wants us to come home to him. He gave us our savior, our brother, our perfect best friend brother to be here with us to take care of us, to hold us, and to guide us. I know that that is true. What a beautiful testimony. Krista, thank you so much for uh, sharing something so personal with us. Uh, I just, you just feel it, you know, as Patrick said, it's very powerful. What a great way to to end this topic. And from our audience, you guys have been wonderful. Thank you for your comments and for inviting the spirit. As we've discussed our second topic, I can trust the Lord's will and his timing. One of the greatest takeaways for me today was to to have this experience with my children here with me and to realize that the things we do, the efforts we make matter because as we study the, the scriptures together, as we try to reprioritize our 
life together as a family, sometimes you wonder if it's sinking in or if it matters. But as we're involved in these activities, to see their testimonies growing, to see them becoming who God wants them to become is really a great opportunity for a mom to sit on the back seat of today. It was amazing to listen to the stories of hope and um, also frustration with um, God's timing and God's will. And know that these are universal human experiences, that we all have these, these heartbreaks and these trials and these struggles. And so listening to how other people go through them and thinking how they did um, what we learned in the scriptures, um, that really was a blessing to me to take home and, and think about. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. All right, well, we wanna welcome first our, uh, another guest, another special guest, Josh Madsen. Josh, thanks for being here today. Well, thank you, I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, so Josh, give us a little bit of a background, if you don't mind, on you know, kind of your, your field of expertise and just tell us a little bit about you before we dive into some of these books today. Yeah, well, one of the things is, is when I was two years old, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. And so <laughs> uh, I just jumped in headlong with that. Uh, gratefully, my wife said, I'm on board. Awesome. Uh, we didn't quite know what that brought on, but I spend my time studying ancient Judaism, early Christianity, wow. and uh, studying the texts that related there, particularly the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the text of an, an ancient Jewish community uh, from about 150 BC to about 180. Wow, All right, well, we're really excited to have you, especially I wanna hear on, you know, as we get to talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls and what you can tell us about all of that. Um, so, well, where do you want to start, Patrick? We've got a lot of fun props here. We've, uh, I'll let you just kind of tell us where we, should, where we want to go first. Well, I, I want to hear more about the, the Dead Sea Scrolls for sure. I think Josh has a lot to tell us, but I th maybe we can start with what's right in okay. front of me, sure. right? So this uh, really well-built stronghold. I mean, this is not moving, uh, this, this thing uh, <laughs> at all, right? Um, uh, but this goes back to something, Krista, that we were talking about earlier in Nahum uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, and we had talked about this verse, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. We sort of talked about the Lord is good, and he knoweth them that trust in him, but th yeah. this, this notion of the Lord is a stronghold, right? right? And right. one of the most famous hymns in all of Christianity is by Martin Luther, a mighty fortress is our God, right? It's, it's in our hymn book as well. Uh, I mean, what do you, th I, I was just thinking when you were telling your, storyers, your stories earlier about just this devastating thing that happened with, within your family. I mean, what it means for God to be a, a stronghold for you in your life? That is a great question. I think God being a stronghold means that you allow him to wrap himself around you, that you feel protected, that you feel that God encompasses you, that he is the person that you go to to feel safe. You're on the inside You're of this You're on thing. the inside of that fortress and that God is the one who is shielding you. God doesn't force us in there, right? That's by our choice. We decide to allow God to be the one to protect us. And that takes faith, that takes courage, like we've been talking about, to sometimes choose to walk through hard things, to, uh, to obey his will when we don't understand it, but trusting that God will protect us no matter what. But the thing is like, he, he doesn't protect us from everything, right? True, true, in a way, right? Uh -huh. So sometimes it feels like he's not protecting us. Sometimes it feels from our mortal point of view, the, thing, the things he's asking us to do or the, or the prayers he's answering or not answering, it feels to us like, where is God? We've talked about that. And yet I think 
we learn as we have more and more experiences with allowing God to protect us or to, to following his, his will, following his footsteps, that we learn that in the end, he really truly was. Yeah, and I love what it says here in that verse that you pointed out, Patrick, is that it's a stronghold, not always, but in the day of trouble. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is when we're desperate, that's where we go. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes we forget that in days of comfort and we sometimes ask, oh, where's, where's God at? But specifically- or, or I can wander around outside the, the, the stronghold yeah, wherever, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, but it, that's it, is that God is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Mm -hmm. And we all are gonna have those days of trouble. Mm -hmm. And are we, do we know the directions to the stronghold? Do we have the map right. that's gonna get yeah. us there? Do we know where the door is in this thing, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. of course, Jesus is the door. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> so we've got this stronghold, and then we have a very strange, like, dead branch <laughs> right here. So, uh, Krista, what's going on with the dead branch? So, the dead branch. So, at the end of Habakkuk, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it actually talks about a branch without blossoms. It says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. So it's, it's referencing that there's, everything's wasted, everything's gone, almost like a famine, right? Everything uh, feels very lost. And verse 18, it says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's a lot of faith. When Heavenly Father takes everything away from us to still show him that we have faith in him, that we trust him. Verse 19, I love just that first line, the Lord God is my strength. That actually sounds really familiar to me. I, I love the chapter in Alma um, where Ammon has, they've had great success with the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. They've saved so many lives and they've brought so many people to Christ. And Ammon is getting really excited. And he's talking to his brothers about the greatness of God. And his brother Aaron stops him and says, I think you're getting a little boastful here. <laughs> he says, I'm not boasting in myself or my own strength. I am boasting in my God. And I think that's what, it's very similar. The wording in Alma 26, I do not boast in my own strength nor in my own wisdom, but behold, my joy is full. Verse 12, yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength, I can do all things. Those, those verses sound very similar to prophets who know the strength of their heavenly father. And I think that is a great message that we find through these, these books that seem like they're full of destruction and want and, and sadness, right, and darkness. We also have these prophets who know the strength of their heavenly father and they are boasting in him. They are saying, there is nothing on this earth. There is no one, no kingdom, no power greater than him. So even though there's the side of the destruction, I also feel great testimonies by these prophets boasting of their God's strength. Well, and I love what you're saying because when we see here what is being destroyed, mm -hmm. nothing of eternal worth. True. Everything wow. that's being destroyed are the things of the world things that are gonna just be destroyed anyway. Uh, and I can't help but think of the words of Job, where Job says, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of God. And, and that's this, is all these things in verse 17 that you talked about, the professions or possessions, they're going away, but those aren't what have eternal worth. What has eternal worth is still going to be in my life and I can rejoice in the Lord. You know, we, we talked earlier about how Habakkuk asks questions, God gives an answer, he's like, mm, I'm gonna ask again, <laughs> right? I'm gonna wait for an answer. Habakkuk never gets his answer. 
Yeah. Right? This is, you know, we, we oftentimes like we're waiting for the Disney end of the story, right? right? There's, no, there's no Disney end of the story here. God never gives him an answer that he th thinks is satisfactory. He never actually answers his questions. And Habakkuk says, I'm gonna trust in God anyway. Mm. That to me is such powerful faith, right? I mean, I have questions that I've had for a long time, right? Uh, God hasn't answered them yet. I don't know when he will, if he will. I still believe in it, right? And, and for so, so for me, I love that. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time who have questions about church history or, or about you know, difficulties. Uh, you know, how can I stay in this church when X, Y, or Z happens? Or how can I believe in God when X, Y, or Z happens? And, and those, those questions are real. Yeah. Habakkuk's questions were real. Why is there evil in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Um, but his faith was even deeper than the question. Habakkuk comes from the Hebrew word, which means to wrestle or to struggle. Oh, wow. And so it's not the end. It's not winning. It's not coming to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. It's being in the wrestle. And isn't that a perfect symbol for mortality, that we're all in the wrestle? Sometimes the wrestle stays. Sometimes, like Habakkuk said, it's not resolved. Sometimes the twig stays barren, yeah. and we don't know why. Yeah. So Josh, I, I'm just curious on you know, your expertise in the Dead Sea Scrolls and what they have to do specifically with these chapters we're talking about today. Yeah, and, and I love this question, and I love the Habakkuk. I, I didn't know what Habakkuk meant. Uh, as a, a young, soon-to-be missionary, I walked into the Idaho Falls Temple for the first time, and right there behind the recommend desk as you're walking into the temple is a scripture from Habakkuk. Oh. And I look at the bottom and I go, who's Habakkuk? <laughs> like, like, who is this? Starting with that experience, uh, I really started to say, I wanna know something about these. Mm. What's really, really cool about Nahum and Habakkuk is the Dead Sea Scrolls community, a, a Jewish community from about 200 BC to 100 AD, uh, they loved scripture as much as we do. But they also recognized that scripture didn't always speak to them. And so what they would do is they'd read the text and go, well, Assyria was destroyed like 500 years ago. We, we don't need them. Like this isn't relevant to Exactly. Us. Oh, right. Or Babylon, oh, that's old news. Uh, how do we make it like us? Mm -hmm. And so one of the really cool discoveries in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were found in the late 1940s. They're found like in pots, in right? Pots, in, in a cave. In a cave, right. uh, by a shepherd. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it makes a great Hollywood movie. Indiana, <laughs> Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so they find these scrolls, and they find a lot of things that we already knew. Scriptures, uh, some texts that are outside of our scriptures. But then they find texts uh, like the one I want to talk about, which is a commentary, or in Hebrew, what we'd call a pesherim. And what this is, is a line-by-line -line commentary on the bo books. And wow. one of the very first texts that we find is actually a line-by-line -line commentary on Habakkuk. Wow. And it's well-preserved, and they'll quote the scripture, and then they'll say, the interpretation is. <laughs> wow. And then they update it for themselves. And so we found one on Habakkuk, we found one on Nahum. And so it's really uh, exciting to read one of these scrolls and say, okay, we know what the historical context of Nahum is. We're talking about Assyria, we're talking about the destruction of Nineveh, but how did somebody 500 years later then try to apply it to their life? Uh, and, and so one of them that I, I would love to talk about is an interpretation of Nahum 3, 6, and 7. And so in Nahum 3, 6, and 7, we read about the destruction of Nineveh uh, in very graphic language. Uh, and the community, you could tell, was a little 
uncomfortable with it. Uh, and so here we read, and it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee. And so they take that verse and then they say, here's the interpretation. So here's what they say. This refers to flattery seekers. And you go, whoa, okay, what's this? And another way that that can be translated from the Hebrew is seekers after smooth things. The people who are gonna be destroyed, it's no longer Nineveh. It's those who are unwilling to wrestle with the Lord, who try to make everything wow. perfect, who try to put out an outward appearance and say, look, my life's perfect. Uh, I don't wanna make a social media comment here, but maybe sometimes <laughs> that's what we think. But we do think that's what's expected of us today, yeah. right? And it's hard to avoid feeling that that's necessary in this world. Yeah, and so we, we, we see that those who are flattery are seeking after smooth things. That's who's gonna be destroyed here mm. and who people are gonna flee from because they're gonna be like, that's not real. Are you sure you don't wanna make any more social media <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it might get in trouble. But, but then look at what they say. In the last time, that's their way of saying in the last days. So not now, but later, their bad deeds will be made manifest to all Israel. And many will perceive their wrongdoing and reject them and be disgusted with them because of their criminal arrogance. Wow, criminal arrogance. Holy yeah. Dogs. And so we're looking at a text that's talking about a, uh, historically a destruction of a, uh, a, an empire. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it's saying we're seeing a destruction of a people. Uh, and for Latter-day Saints, it even gets better because then they continue and they say, and when the glory of Judah is manifest, the simple-hearted folk of Ephraim. So here we go, starting to talk about tribes of Ephraim. But look at what they'll do. There's a rivalry between Judah and Ephraim in ancient Israel. They're, they're, they're kind of like the two brothers who are like, oh, I got to get the, the head up on Judah's the other. Judah's in the south, Ephraim's in the north. Yeah. Right. And so it's the, it's the reason before, for the split. Uh, and even when you look at their prophecies uh, from the blessings all the way back of Jacob, there's this, ah, well, who's stronger? Um, you know, do we give it to Ephraim who's receiving the birthright or to Judah who's getting all these great blessings and who the Messiah is going to come through? But all those rivalries put aside, the simple-hearted folk of Ephraim will withdraw from their company, abandon the ones who deceive them and ally themselves to the God of Israel. That's fascinating. And so, and, and, and these people, these Jews who are interpreting these texts are saying, you know what? There's gonna be a day when those from Ephraim are going to get away from these things of the people. And, and we know as Latter-day Saints, there's a lot of prophecy and a lot of emphasis, uh, especially because of the Book of Mormon on what Ephraim means in the last days. So how were they able to figure this out? I mean, was it just, were they going by inspiration? Were they... Is it just a collection of everything they study over the years that brought them to some of these conclusions that, that they're making? Because it seems pretty prophetic yeah. when, you, when, you, when you read it like that. And, and, and we know that God inspires people of all nations, mm -hmm. kindred, tongues, and people. So while the people who are writing the Dead Sea Scrolls aren't necessarily prophets the way we might think right. of them, they're just trying to do the best with, I have the scriptures and I want to live a life that allows me to be taught by God. Uh, what they would say by prophecy. And so they're writing this text and now we can read it in our day and say, oh wow, like that means something to me as a Latter-day Saint yeah. in 2022, 
that it wouldn't mean necessarily to them in the past. And, and what I love is that, like you were talking about, we, we might have a tendency to dismiss some of these books, right? Or, or, or skip to the ones where we know the stories or we like it. I mean, you know, or at least the ones where we'd name our kids after. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, sometimes, you know, reading scripture is, is sort of like, luxuriating in this like, you know, pool of water, that's, you know, and, and just like soaking it all up, like reading the Sermon on the Mount or something like mm. that. Sometimes it's hard work, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it, it's, it's more like mining, right? right. And, and you gotta get in there and you gotta get your, your hands dirty. You, you gotta put in some effort to, to pull out some nuggets, some mm -hmm. flex, right? And it seems like that's what they're doing, right? They're saying, yeah. I mean, God has given us this to us. It's gotta be worth something. Right. So I'm gonna spend that's the effort so cool. to go in and do some mining in here to, to, to figure out what God wants me to pull out. You know, this is a very interesting exercise that we've actually been doing in our family with our children. I have children from 24 down to eight. And it's interesting if we take a verse of scripture that maybe is familiar to me and means something to me, but then to ask the eight-year-old to interpret it in eight-year-old language or the 15-year-old, how would you say that to a friend? And to have them interpret it and put the meaning for them today in their age group, what is God saying to them? It's a great exercise. Yeah, yeah and good for you for not telling them this is what this means, but right. allowing them to have that that discovery for themselves. I mean, that's what the Holy Ghost does, right? Absolutely. Is, is it gives us that inspiration uh, for, for what it's gonna mean for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the danger that then comes for us is we talk about these things of saying, no, this is the meaning. Mm -hmm. right. uh, yeah. Or uh, we've all sat in classes where somebody goes, no, no, this is what this means. And then somebody for the rest of their life has stopped their exploration. Mm -hmm because they're like, oh, no, 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 so-and-so who's so much smarter than I am <laughs> said this. But as you said, and I love that, like, what does this mean to you? And we know from the scriptures that from the mouths of babes, right. we can receive inspiration from the Holy Ghost. I think Heavenly Father speaks, we know all languages, but I think he also speaks all ages. So the children can feel the Holy Ghost and feel what Heavenly Father wants them to learn, no matter how old they are. That's great. I also, for me, this is also, I mean, it's so much of what I've learned about the Bible has been from other readers of the Bible, whether they be Jewish, past or present, mm. whether they be Christian of all kinds, past or present, Latter-day Saint, right? I mean, so uh, this is not just our book. Lots of people have this book, right? And people have been reading and thinking about this book for a very long time, much longer than I've been alive, much longer than our church has existed, right? And so, uh, so while we're blessed with, with living prophets and apostles and with the gift of the Holy Ghost to, to sometimes see new things in these books, also we can learn a lot of things from people who've been thinking about these yeah. books for a very long time. So one thing that, that I really love about uh, coming back to this idea of flattery seekers and, and seeking after smooth things, uh, later on when they continue the discussion of the rest of the verse of Nahum 3, 7, um, they say this, they say this refers again to the flattery seekers whose faction will pass away and whose assembly will be disbanded. They will no longer deceive the congregation and the simple hearted will no longer support their party. Uh, and so often we get kind of inundated by this idea that we can't control where the world's going. We can't control how they're going to influence us. And for these people, they said, no, the day will come. Just hold on, be patient. The day will come when their influence will no longer have sway on you. Wow. That is very hopeful because yeah. it does sometimes feel like the world is a runaway train and how do we stop it or turn right. it, right? Yeah. That's a great hope. Uh, Josh, uh, we're getting to know you from the academic side. Uh, do you mind if a little on a personal side, like well, how have you learned to find hope uh, 
and some of the challenging things that exist in our world today? Well, I think one of the big things that I've seen uh, is you can take these texts, you can take experiences, and if you learn from the experiences of these people, you can see, hey, I'm not that much different. Mm. I'm not that much different than Nahum or Helmut Huner or uh, anybody else. I am going through the same thing. Um, and, and we're not going through Nazi Germany, um, and we're not going through ancient Assyria or ancient Babylon, but we still have a lot of those things that are happening to us. And so one of the big things these texts are meant to give us is how do I, how do I experience life? What's my experience? What's my story gonna be? What quote is somebody gonna paint that I'm going to give? <laughs> right. um, and, and I think it motivates me to say, okay, what do I need to do? Uh, what do I need to do in my life um, that's going to bring that to pass? And um, from a personal level, uh, that often doesn't come in my own thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes it comes from my mistakes uh, or from being chastened. Um, one of the other themes that you see in this, these texts from Nahum to Habakkuk to, to Zephaniah is God trying to say, I'm chastening these people to make them better. Um, and, and it makes me think of this verse from uh, Mosiah chapter 23. Uh, in verse 21, the Lord tells us, nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people. Yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. And that word chasteneth is scary. <laughs> we go, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. That's a scary word. But when we, when we look at, at what that means, it's to give us experience to become better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on a personal note of chastening, and I think about all of this of breaking down and, and building back up, uh, as a young missionary, uh, I was called to the mission president's home. Uh, I had served for a while as a zone leader, and I had just got moved to be a district leader with a new companion. And as that happened, the mission president invited me into his home and said, Elder Matson, why did I transfer you? And in a way that I'm ashamed, I looked at him and I said, President, because I'm the only missionary in the mission that can help this missionary. And my mission president dropped his head and shook and he looked at me and said, Elder Matson, you may be the most prideful missionary I have. <laughs> He said, I put you, I put you with this missionary because he can put up with you. Wow. (laughs) Uh, And I by no means have really gotten to that point where I'm a great person to, you know, to work with or that that pride still isn't there. But that chastening and other chastenings along the way have tried to make me a better product than what I am now. When you talked mm-hmm. about this earlier, Krista, the, the sometimes prophets say hard things to us, <laughs> right? Yes, they do. Uh, and we all sometimes need to hear hard things. Uh, sometimes that can be the, the most loving thing that somebody can say is the hard thing that we need to hear, not that we want to hear. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about this earlier about Zion and about people being one heart, one mind and, and looking to God, right? That God, let God prevail. And I think sometimes we think when Zion is formed, it means we're all gonna be the same. But I think we're also gonna be individuals with opinions and personalities. But the point is which way we're aiming. Are we all focusing on God, letting God prevail in our lives and trying to be the best we can like him to follow him? The aim is what matters, not the, you know, the perfect or imperfections of us. The aim. I love that. 
as I look at this and just trying to think of, of one last thing, one, one last message, goes along with what we've just been talking about. So it comes from Zephaniah chapter two. And uh, in verse three, it says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, right? Uh, I mean, you spoke powerfully about humility, right? The, the, the need for each of us to, to learn humility and, and meekness, uh, for us to do righteousness, to do justice to one another, to treat each other well. And, and I just, this is, this is a message that I need. I, I mean, this, this is the core of what it means to try to follow God and to, to try to be a Christian, to try to be a decent human being, right? But to be meek, to do justice, to seek righteousness, that's, that's the kind of person I hope to be. So I'm grateful for Zephaniah to help me. Thank you. I, I, I love that we've, we've come to Zephaniah. I think this is such an appropriate place to, to conclude. Uh, the name Zephaniah from the Hebrew comes from something along the lines of the Lord is mysterious or the Lord has mysteries. Uh, and I think in all of our lives, um, the Lord working in us is a mystery of where we're gonna go. We don't know where the next step is. Uh, but what Zephaniah teaches us is after all of these destructions, after all these people have gone through hurt and heartache and have been chastened and been refined, I love what it says in Zephaniah 3.11. In that day, so after all of this is done, shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and a poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down and none shall make them afraid. Mm. And so after all of the chastening, after all the hard times, after all of the struggles and the heartache and the despair, at the end, we can stand, and I think of the words from the Doctrine and Covenants, we can stand in the presence of God with confidence. Not because of anything we've done, but because yes. the process that God has put us through has made us able to be who God needs us to be. Well, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Josh, it was great to have you join us. Uh, Krista, thanks for sharing your story with us. And thank you all for joining us. And again, we want to remind you that throughout this episode, if you have felt any whisperings or promptings from the Holy Ghost, that you'll take the courage to follow through those promptings. Thanks again, and please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 